The following is a CSPN Media podcast presentation. Hello, and welcome to Know the Score. I'm your host, Don DeLaRente, and I'm joined this week by the Libra icon, Dwayne. What's going on, Dwayne? Hey, y'all just traveling, but good to be here as always. All right, man, be safe out there on those streets. And this week, we are joined by our special guest. You can find them on Twitter at Dr. Underscore, underscore Doe Stacks. That's S-T-A-X. It's our man, Peter. What's going on, Pete? How you doing out there? Good, man. We're good, man. Uh, welcome to Know the Score. First time guest. Glad you could join us this morning. Thank you for having me. Oh, man, we're glad you can make it. So we're going to get right into it. Let everybody know that this is a CSPN production. You can find us at CSPN.us. You can also find us on Google Play, SoundCloud, iTunes, and Stitcher Radio. Follow the show on Twitter at KTSPod. You can follow me at Don DeLorente. And of course, like I said, you can follow Dwayne at The Libra Icon. So guys, the NBA trade deadline came and it went. Leading up to the deadline, it seemed like it was going to be slow news day. And then all of a sudden, GM LeBron happened. And the whole landscape of the Eastern Conference changed in a matter of about four hours. So we'll start with the first bit of news that came down the pike. As we got the Cavs trade Isaiah Thomas, Channing Frye, and their 2008 first-round pick to the Lakers for Larry Nance and Jordan Clarkston. So we'll let our guest Peter start first. Pete, what do you think about the Cavs? I mean, this was a wild 24 hours uh, as LeBron hit a game winner uh, against the Timberwolves. Uh, there were some isolation shots of him, you know, basically shutting out Isaiah Thomas. Uh, there were one sequence there where he was wide open and LeBron was dribbling against three men. Uh, there is another uh, shot where they're celebrating the game winner and LeBron doesn't really have time for Isaiah Thomas. <laughs> And then less than 12 hours later, he's on a different team. Well, first off, the game against Minnesota was um, an incredible game. Uh, it reminded me, <clears throat> especially in Brian in the game when he shot, that um, even though he's 15 years in the league, uh, he's still capable of uh, becoming all-man, all-amazing. But the thing with him, like, you know, looking off IT, and I figured IT was going to be gone come the trade deadline when he walked right past him during that celebration. Because we've seen LeBron celebrate. LeBron was ugly crying with Kevin Love uh, in the finals when they won it. Um, in terms of getting IT off the roster, um, I've been a very loud critic to most of my friends about um, Isaiah Thomas, um, especially given the number of Cavs fans who, on one hand, thought it was hilarious when LeBron uh, dunked on Isaiah Thomas, dragging him up the rim like a dad in the driveway last year in the Eastern Conference Finals, who then this year were amazed, like, how'd the defense get worse? So... I'm glad that at the at the bare minimum, we now have a point guard who is over six feet tall. All right. Now, what do you think about the addition of Larry Nance? Uh, do you think that he can help in any way? He's an athletic power forward, but not really a shooter. And that ten, tends to be the type of guy you need to play with LeBron to really make it happen. See, I think I think he can fit in. I do think that there will be. I think that the uh, the just I think the adjustment period will be somewhat pronounced. Um, but I think that he might be able to adapt quicker due to his youth. Um, I'm happy as the athleticism. Um, it would probably that athleticism probably will need to be kicked through a round peg, kicked through a square hole, so that he can help on defense. Um, because literally, as I said, one of the like the 
the Cavs have not played defense since LeBron came back. Um, but I do think I do think he will help. Um, and even it, and even though he's not a shooter, uh, LeBron will find a way to get him the ball because LeBron, in addition to being the owner, GM, and head coach, is also kind of like the de facto point guard too. So, <laughs> Mister, do everything, Dwayne. Let me bring you in and uh, give us some thoughts on. Uh, both sides of the trade here the, for the Lakers. Let's bring in, in their side. They get to clear some cap space. They get to clear two guys that were probably taking up spots from other guys who were playing better than they were at this point in the season. As Kuzma definitely stepping into Larry Nance's starting spot, and Larry Nance was dealing with injury, so it didn't help him. And uh, Josh Hart has seems to be taking over for Jordan Clarkston. So now uh, the Lakers seem to have freed up their money to go after two potential max contracts, either this free agency period or next. So, you know, it seems to be like a win-win for both teams. But give, give us your assessment, Dwayne. Yeah, it was a huge win for the Lakers. I think that with the way they are trying to set up to make a big splash in free agency for either this year or next year, it's going to be one of those things where we just have to see who they bring in. Of course, Paul George is one of the targets. LeBron is one of the targets, ironically. And with the Cavs this is what you wanted when you lost the Warriors and now you have the opportunity to play with the guys that you kind of envisioned. So I think is also I think with um, Clarkson and Nance they will get plenty of playing time. It was kind of interesting to see Isaiah Thomas say he wasn't going to come off the bench, but he ended up coming off the bench anyways, and he dropped 22 against the Mavericks in his debut. Um, so it was kind of interesting to see what they'll do with that situation. That situation, but my whole thing at the end of the day, it's a win-win for both teams. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, if anything, with the Larry Nance, you know, his dad played for the Cavs for six years, so kind of like uh, two generations of Nance back in Cleveland who know how to attack the rim and abuse the rim as well. So I might see some highlight reels, might give some fans some nostalgia, but the Cavs were old. They were not running with uh, other teams like the Warriors and the Rockets and even at a certain extent the Celtics, even though the Celtics don't play that kind of basketball, but it gives them the chance to be more athletic at the end of the day. All right. Now, LeBron was just getting started in his wheeling and dealing, as it also came down that he sent Dwayne Wade back to Miami for a second round pick. So, I guess Gabrielle was like, yo, we got to do something. Chicago was one thing. That was your home. Didn't work out because of Rondo. But then we come to, you know, up here in Cleveland with LeBron and it's still not working out. We can be in Miami and be bad. So Dwayne Wade back to Miami. Uh, Miami's kind of in the bottom of the Eastern Conference. They're kind of getting their players healthy. Can they make a run and sneak back in the playoffs? Peter, what are your thoughts about uh, Dwayne Wade going back to Miami and and helping them trying to secure a playoff run? D-Way going back to Miami is a uh, <clears throat> is a classic case of most people from the Midwest who go to Florida because uh, due to whatever degenerative uh, joint conditions they have with age, they need to go somewhere warmer because uh, the cold's terrible on arthritis. And since D-Wade has almost no cartilage left in his body, this trade is almost purely so that D-Wade can go back to Miami and um, retire with the Heat. Um, he's a legend down there, 
And the only reason he really went to Chicago in the first place was because Pat Riley wasn't going to give him his money. Um, in terms of him helping the Heat make the playoff run, I mean, we've seen what D-Wade was about up in Cleveland. And, like, there would be the them flashes of, like, the D-Wade of old were very, very fleeting. And, I mean, he looked comparably better. But when you're on a team with Derrick Rose, whose body is even worse shape, and then Isaiah Thomas, who is only five foot seven, uh, with one good hip, I don't think that D, I don't think D Wade is going to help Miami get into the playoffs. Um, I think this is just really a ceremonial thing and just doing a solid for a friend to put him in a position to be able to retire with his own team. All right, and GM LeBron wasn't done as he had one more deal up his sleeve as he got. George Hill and Rodney Hood in a three-team deal. The Cavs parted ways with Amon Shepard, Jay Crowder, and Derrick Rose in the process. So, Dwayne, bring you in on this trade. We get George Hill, a guy that LeBron probably respects from their wars back in the uh, you know Indiana Pacers and Cleveland in the Eastern Conference Finals a couple of years back-to-back. Rodney Hood, a young guy who's been battling injury, but he can fill it up when he does uh, play nice mid-range uh, you know, jump shot. Are very creative with the ball, can get his own shot. How do these guys infuse and help the new look Cavs? It looks like they're trying to get guys to get out in front of LeBron on the fast break instead of trail behind them. Uh, does this help out with that? And does George Hill have enough respect from LeBron where he could take away some of those point guard duties? Absolutely. And I think when you look at it, as like I alluded to earlier, this was um, a situation where the Rockets ran the Cavs out their own building and that was the catalyst for this trade and it just made everybody realize that hey this is not going to work with this current roster so George Hill does have the ability to take that point guard um, relief for LeBron he also has the ability to take over a game once in the blue moon when he needs to And then also you look at Rodney Hood, as long as he's not slapping phones out of people's hands, he should be able to be one of those guys who can definitely get that stat sheet filled up, play very hard, and when he's healthy and he is on a shooting rampage, watch out. And, you know, as for, you know, the way Condu wanted to touch on the way trade as well, was uh, pretty much a solid for, you know, LeBron to send his pal back home where he didn't want to leave in the first place. Uh, just like people allude to, Pat Riley didn't want to pay him, you know, for a diminishing body, disintegrating body. So just for him to go ahead and go back home and, you know, it's a lot of cap relief and a lighter, lighter on the heat. So wallets is going to be a good thing for everybody around. And, even though Miami's at the bottom of the conference, they're only two games out from Washington for that fourth spot in the East and only three games out of Cleveland for the third spot. So they're really not that far off from being at the top of the – in the top three in the East. So they are one of the teams to watch out for in uh, making moves towards the uh, the uh, top of the conference. All right, Peter, I'll bring you in on the George Hill and Ronnie Hood acquisitions for the Cavs. Um, As a Cavs fan, uh, does this bring enough speed and and use and and defensive intensity as it seems like that's kind of been the real problem with Cleveland is don't have enough guys who want to play defense? Um, I think it does. Um, It's the 
their current problem with the Cavs since, and I would honestly say this issue goes all the way back to when they drafted Wiggins and he was touted as, oh, he's a defensive wing. You know, useful if you needed to, I don't know, chase around a little dude to shoot a lot. And since that trade, the Cavs have gotten – because one of the things that I was a long proponent of was that, yeah, we should keep Wiggins because who's going to play defense? The response from many Cavs fans would be, well, LeBron can do that. And we've seen how that's played out. At the peak of this team – at the peak of LeBron's second tenure in Cleveland, um, our defensive stalwarts were what? Uh, Shump, JR, and they're both old. Um, so I do believe that this does bring enough youth back to – I would say and this might just be enough. I take they can get back to the Eastern Conference Finals uh, with this uh, youth, um, because at the very least it means it does take a lot of pressure off LeBron. Because although he can do incredible things, we can't be looking at him every night to be like, yeah, no, you just got to go out there and get a uh, quadruple double, and uh, with like 20 blocks and uh, 30 steals or something. So this does bring a needed amount of youth and um, athleticism back to the Cavs, and I think that they. I think as a team, they will benefit from this. There will obviously be the dysfunction of trying to fit back in because LeBron's difficult to play with. But, yeah, I think this helps them a great deal. All right. We'll shift the focus over to the New York Knicks as they had a nightmarish week as Christoph Porzingis goes down with a torn ACL. He is out for the season. Uh, the Knicks were kind of in the bottom of that Eastern Conference, kind of teetering whether they should go for it or if they should, you know, just prepare for next year for agency. Well, we pretty much know what's going to be now with uh, Porzingis getting hurt. But they did, uh, you know, are thinking forward towards next year as they did make a trade for Emmanuel Moutier from Denver. So, Dwayne, I'll bring you in here. They drafted Frank. I can't, I'm not going to say his last name, but we all know Frank from overseas to kind of be their point guard this year. But it seems like this is a move that's going to stunt his growth and his development. So kind of are the Knicks being as smart as we think, or are they just being the same old Knicks? They are being the same old Knicks. And I'm going to say that because, look, Bernard, Bernard King was a unicorn 30 years ago, 30, almost having a 33 a game. He was out for the next two years after he broke uh, towards ACL, had a broken leg. Hopefully, this doesn't happen to Chris Tess for Ziggins, but that seven foot three with the knee problem, that's not a good thing. Um, it's the Knicks are cursed. As long as James Dolan is owning that franchise, they are cursed. They cannot seem to get anything right. They, they traded four starters when Carmelo came to town, which they could have probably been amongst the elite in the East had they not done that. And and now you trade, you draft a young point guard, try to develop him, and then you trade for another point guard. So at the end of the day, we think the Knicks are going to take two steps forward, and then they take eight steps back. So at the end of the day, it's the same old Knicks, and it gives me a chance to use my favorite Knicks meme with the guy with the snapback hat and the Patrick Ewing jersey with the gun to his head, like, what are we doing? So, at the end of the day, it's the same old Knicks. Uh, Peter, your thoughts on the trade for Emmanuel Moutier and, uh, you know, Christoph Porzingis' future, like uh, Dwayne said, you know, big guys and knee injuries. And if knees and feet are the two things you don't want your big guys to be suffering from. So, uh, kind of the future of the Knicks and what this trade does for them going forward. I think in a normal organization, um, I would be <clears> – <throat> There's obviously the concern with the seven-footer because, you know, Porzingis is a very 
uh, lanky, uh, you know, kind of like finish, but clearly like gaining some muscle mass um, at his stature. But yeah, knee injuries are very difficult to come back from. But when you factor in that's the Knicks, um, I wouldn't be surprised if we found out in the offseason his leg fell off or something. Um, the problem with the Knicks is that, yes, they traded for another point guard. But as Dwayne said, they, they this is one thing that has always bothered me as a Cavs fan is that the ridicule that Cleveland gets, I could always point and say, you know, the team with the same color scheme uh, that is actually way more incompetent is up in New York. Um, until James Dolan does right by uh, Oakley, they shall never prosper. I mean, it's yeah. – Agreed. Um, there's – I mean, they're – it doesn't help either that by being in New York, they have the perpetual New York media machine that has somehow brought into everyone's head, this is supposed to be a premier franchise in the NBA, when in about the last 25 years, we'd say, eh, you're close, but you're not going to be there. And, I mean, what, the most – it's between having an incompetent owner, between bringing in Phil Jackson to basically uh, do what, uh, talk trash about players and then trade them for way less than they're worth – um, yeah, they're, they're a terribly run franchise. And I say that as somebody who has Comic Sans Dan as an owner. <laughs> exactly. And then also, when you factor in, 2000, since 2001, they've only won one playoff series. You have Joakim Noah, who's in exile, similar to Stephon Marbury being in exile 10 years earlier. Then you got Isaiah Thomas, who was fired, had a lawsuit, then got brought back. And the only person that has... Any kind of sense to get out of the garden was Charles Oakley. Even though he was forced out, he had enough sense to get out. So, yeah, that's the New York Knicks. And it's amazing because the New York Rangers are owned by James Dolan. But even though they're struggling this season, they're a far better ran franchise than the New York Knicks under the same ownership, which highly baffles me. I knew the Knicks were in trouble back in the day when Donnie Walsh couldn't even get those guys decent and, and and get them in the right direction. It's like, you know, this is the dude that's like every place he's been, he's done pretty good. And even he had to throw his hands up and say, I'm done with this team. So, yeah, you know, James Dolan definitely has whatever works in the NHL. He hasn't figured how to bring that over to the NBA. Now, one last move that's come down as Joe Johnson uh, was a casualty of the trading deadline and he was going to be put on waivers. It seems he's going to clear waivers, and he's going to rejoin Mike D'Antoni, and he's going to be a Houston Rocket for the rest of the season. Uh, he was out in Utah, of course, helped them with that playoff run a couple of years ago. I saw Joe a big shot to help win a game to propel uh, Utah on their run that they went on two years ago. So, Dwayne, we'll let you jump in first. One more shooter for the Houston Rockets, you know. Uh, to help uh, somebody who knows D'Antoni, who's first in that system, um, basically made his name off of playing in that system originally. Is this the last, you know, low spade in the hand that the Rockets need to have enough firepower to just bomb away and outscore the Warriors in a seven-game series? Absolutely. And you think of this. I mean, they did this without, without Joe Johnson. So imagine now that you bring Joe Johnson in, and if he gets on the hot streak, they do have enough to – match up with the Warriors. Uh, Houston was 40-13 and 13 the last time I checked, and a half a game behind Golden State. I think Golden State's won a couple since, but they do have what it takes, and one thing that is a big difference in D'Antoni's system versus the last uh, couple years is that there's defense. There's actually D. You can actually put the D in D'Antoni now, 
And so my thing is, if the Rockets can have enough firepower and they play enough defense, yeah, they have enough to take down the Warriors. And, you know, this is where the ISO Joe, the Ski Mask All-Star, Joe Johnson began, the legend of Ski Mask All-Stars, began right here with Joe Johnson and D'Antoni's system. All right, Peter, your thoughts on uh, Houston's chances with Joe Johnson and, and how they match up with the Warriors as we look ahead to a seven-game series? Looking at, yeah, seven-game series, uh, Joe Johnson does add yet another shooter. And Joe Johnson, um, you know, they match up well with the Warriors because they're one of maybe – they're maybe the only team, maybe also the Thunder, who could say, you yeah, know, we can go shot for shot with the Warriors and we can actually defend them. Um, we can do both without having to sacrifice one in a uh, very staggered way. Like, you know, somebody like, uh, you know, the old rugged Memphis who play like it's 1985. Uh, yeah, they could hold the Warriors like 99, but they also only score like 72. Um, no, so Joe Johnson is definitely going to be an asset. Um, also, uh, as Dwayne mentioned, um, Ski Mask All-Star, uh, Joe Johnson you know, might be, he is a champion every time he walks into the bank and looks at his ATM receipt. And uh, I've always respect that he's managed to stay with um, a check and uh, has possibly the greatest contract in NBA history um, with the uh, with Atlanta. So, you know, Joe Johnson will definitely help um, both familiarity with the scheme. And, yeah, they've – this is this is a complete positive for Houston. Uh, I think something that Dwayne mentioned that is, you know, something that we haven't seen in this run is that, you know, Houston is right there on the Warriors uh, for the best team, best record in the West, and that home court advantage throughout the playoffs. And that's kind of benefited the Warriors throughout this run is that they've had that home court. We haven't really have to see them go on the road in a game seven and, you know, deal with that pressure or, or, you know, critical game five where they're, you know, on the road and they got to get that game if they're down, you know. So I think that's kind of the difference this year that they're getting, they're going to get tested in the regular season and they, you know, we're going to, they're going to have to go through the whole 82 games this year, it looks like, plus the playoffs um, with Houston right there, you know, real close to them. So I think that that pressure is something that we really haven't seen the Warriors deal with from another team in the West as far as in the regular season um, to be, you know, in danger of their home court advantage, which is a big deal for them because Oracle gets rocking and they feed off that crowd, especially when a couple of those threes go in, um, you know, uh, you know, 10 point deficit can become a 20 point lead for them in like three minutes. So that'll be interesting to see if Houston can overtake them and uh, make them go on the road in a critical game seven. At this point, just want to let you know that this episode of Another Score is brought to you by Amazon.com. We're getting close to Valentine's Day. It's time to start thinking about gifts for significant others. You have less than a week. And if you have Amazon Prime, you can get the you know, things shipped to you next day or in two days. And you can go through CSPN.us and help support the podcast here on the network. Help keep another score free each and every week. And also accomplish the task of getting something for your significant other on Valentine's Day. So all you have to do is visit our website, CSPN.us. Click on the tab that says support a podcast. Go down, click on Amazon, and do your shopping as you normally would. Some of your purchases will come back to CSPN and help keep all the podcasts here on the network free each and every week. So CSPN.us and Amazon.com, do it today. Guys, we're going to get into a little NFL talk that's coming off the Super Bowl. There's still some news out there. Uh, we thought, we were, you know, Pat, uh, Matt Patricia, as we thought, became the head coach of the Detroit Lions. And in a swerve, 
Josh McDaniels in the 11th hour turns his back on the Lions coaching job and remains the offensive coordinator of the New England Patriots. So after two months of speculation and basically, yep, we got them. It's just a foregone conclusion. All he has to do is either win the Super Bowl or get eliminated and sign the contract, and we're going to be moving forward. Belichick and Robert Kraft came to Josh McDaniels, and they told him something, and he had to uh, call, make that call to uh, Rich Ballard, and uh, Rich Ballard did not take it kindly. And at his press conference, he said the rivalry is back on. So Dwayne, you're our NFL man all season. We've basically been talking about this as a foregone conclusion for like a month, talking about what McDaniels could do for Andrew Luck and, and you know, get their offense straightened out. And if Luck comes back healthy, how the Colts could definitely be set up for a long run and be a successful franchise. And now they out here with Butkus. Man, how did this go down? Okay, so it pretty much went down, like like you said, Belichick and Kraft met with Josh, and they pretty much were selling them on the possibility of, you know, being the head coach and waiting. I don't think it's a foregone conclusion that he's going to be the head coach and waiting. But if he is, that's the only head coaching job. He's probably ever going to get again because you had Spygate 2 in Denver. You had, and then you, this wasn't even the 11th hour. This was at 11.59.58 when he decided to say, hey, I'm not going to take this job. And not only does it affect, affect the Colts as a franchise, you have guys who packed up families, already signed, you have a couple coaches who signed contracts already. You have a defensive coordinator, and defensive line coach who packed up their families, moved to Indianapolis, and then at the midnight hour, you decide, hey, I'm not taking the job. So that's really disrespectful, unprofessional. You know, I get that he does have a family of his own, and he did factor that in his decision. I understand that. But you now leave Chris Ballard and Colts in cold because it's hard to get a head coach at this point because – Everybody's locked in the deals. And the guys that they wanted, Matt Nagy, who went to the Bears, Steve Wilkes went to the Cardinals. You had a few other guys that they had their eyes on take other jobs. And now you're looking at this franchise who used to be a proud franchise, pretty much unstable. So I would say at this point, look at Leslie Frazier possibly being a head coach. He is a dungeon disciple. He can get the team on the right track. And so that may be the guy you look for in the as a head coach at this time. But it's going to be a pretty it's, – it's not going to be. It is already a challenge to find somebody this late in the game, especially with the combine coming up so quickly. Peter, I'll get you in on this point on how Josh McDaniels uh, handled himself. It looks like the Patriots, like Dwayne said, gave him some promises. Looks like he's going to be more involved in, um, you know, drafting and, and offensive uh, player personnel and things like that. It's obvious that they're going to probably be going after a quarterback in this draft to kind of be the successor to Tom Brady. And looks like that McDaniels is going to have a big role in picking that guy and, and grooming him. So, um, you know, like Dwayne said, that you know, Josh McDaniels is, you know, basically paying himself into a corner where it's gonna be New England or bust from here on out if he wants to remain a coach. Yeah, um Josh McDaniels has found a way to do something that I didn't actually think would be possible, which is burn I think his thirty second bridge in the NFL. 
Um, it's wildly unprofessional, and in in terms of New England, um, I can definitely you know, yeah. The only thing I could see that would keep him wanting to stay in New England would be, as you said, uh, more control of the personnel and being the successor to uh, Belichick's throne. Although I also don't think that that's something that necessarily is in writing. And Belichick strikes me as on like that Bear Bryant curve where, um, uh, to borrow a phrase I heard, if the shark stops swimming, it dies. Um, in terms of finding a replacement quarterback, I mean, there are a lot of quarterbacks in this draft, but there's nothing that says that they won't do the thing where they draft a quarterback somewhere in a later round, uh, trade them to some struggling team like, I don't know, the Browns or San Francisco. And then it's like, oh, yeah, no, we, yeah, we'll take like three year draft picks for this disciple who, by proximity to Brady and Belichick, clearly should end up being good. Um, and I think that, yeah, but it's also clear that the, despite Tom Brady's um, almost uh, hotepish um, health uh, regimen, um, he is getting old. We saw a lot of that during the Super Bowl where some of the passes looked like he's throwing as hard as he could, but in a Peyton Manning fashion, that effort isn't going to make the ball go much further. Um, so I can see that kind of being a bit of building tension as well. Um, but no, yeah, they, it, the, I don't think the Browns would offer Josh McDaniels a head coaching job at this point. And um, that's saying something. Yeah, it really is. So hopefully, you know, for him and, and his sake, if he wants to remain a head coach that, you know, Belichick doesn't swerve him at the last minute and, and does hand over the reins to him. Um, speaking of another disciple that we brought in earlier, we were talking about Jimmy Garoppolo, the former backup to Tom Brady, got shipped off in the middle of the season. The 49ers got the rare opportunity to basically test drive if they had a franchise quarterback or not. And Jimmy G went undefeated. So in kind this week, they gave him the richest contract in NFL history. Five years, 137.5 million. He's the high, highest paid play, highest paid player in the league currently because Kirk Cousins is still out there in the free agent market. And if Jimmy Garoppolo could get this for a handful of starts in uh, New England and a five and zero run in San Francisco, uh, Kirk Cousins is going to get an astronomical figure. So, Peter, I bring you in here. Jimmy G secured the bag. San Francisco has their franchise quarterback now. Um, what does it say about NFL quarterback salaries and kind of the forecast for San Francisco going forward? So relative to uh, for San Francisco going forward, I think that Jimmy G can be all right. Um, we don't have that large of a sample size on what makes him good. And that that is indicative of how a small sample size in context, not necessarily the best games against the best teams. Um, there is an argument to say that we don't <clears> – my <throat> apologies – uh, we don't. We know that he can win, but the NFL doesn't usually evaluate quarterbacks really in context. It's mostly, as you mentioned, he went undefeated. But I mean, Blake Bortles won a playoff game with 85 rushing yards and 84 passing yards. I mean, it's still a win, but I do think that maybe if drilled down, there'd be a better idea of uh, Jimmy G's quality as a quarterback. But his numbers also are actually comparable to that of uh, one uh, former quarterback, Colin Kaepernick. So I think the Niners should be in a good direction. In terms of the, the NFL, what it says is that the way that they – it says beyond about how they evaluate quarterbacks, it also says in terms of how they pay quarterbacks that the price of the brick is about to go up to an astronomical height because if Jimmy G can command $135 million, Kirk Cousins is probably going to hit up um, – full disclosure, a Browns fan 
he's probably going to hit up the Browns for like $200 million, and he would be correct because he's been uh, basically uh, tagged to the fran- – he's been hit with that franchise tag uh, two or three times in a row now. And it's also uh, – it sets up a great um, – this will probably also become an issue because there will be – when the CPA gets renegotiated, I believe in 2020, um, this is probably going to become a problem because players are going to say, we need to do something about the salary cap because we're not supposed to just be, you have a small sample size from Jimmy G, but we can't just keep having the league where 90% of the salary on the team is going to the quarterback. So yeah, I think that's what uh, that would say for the league then. All right. The way to bring you in on the 49ers, uh, John Lynch, as uh, Kyle Shanahan seem to be, uh, you know, they have a plan. They got Jimmy G fell in their lap. For whatever reason, Belichick and the Patriots decided to move on. It fell in his lap, and they haven't wasted any time um, wrapping him up and getting him in a deal that's actually in two or three years going to look really friendly. But right now, as of today, it makes him the highest-paid player in the league. Yeah, it does. And, you know, five years, $137.5 million, that's pretty awesome for a total of, what, 10 starts? So, you know, and – with the sample size I was given, it looked like the 49ers needed some kind of injection because they were, at the time, 1-10. in 10. So, I want to say like 1-10 in 10 at the time, and they ended up finishing 6-10. and 10. So, for them, to, for them to get somebody, you know, who was under Tom Brady's um, shadow for many, many years and got the tutelage of Belichick. Belichick didn't want to give him up, really, but, you know, reaching out to Kyle Shanahan said, and John Lynch pretty much helping negotiate that deal that acquired, you know, Garoppolo. And for him to flourish, you know, he's one of the few guys who wasn't under this Patriot system that hasn't been bad. I mean, look at look at the guys who've been there before, um, Ryan Hoyer, Ryan Mallett. Um, Matt Castle. Matt Castle. Oh, God, don't get me started on Matt Castle. So, yeah, so that's pretty bad business. And, you know, it's like, okay, the system, you know, doesn't work outside. But Garoppolo, he's a very intelligent guy learning a new system. And he came through uh, for the 49ers. Even though the games weren't all that great, the the opposition wasn't all that great, there were a couple of games where the 49ers played spoilers, so give them credit for that. Now, what I will say this, though, it does the, the QB market is going is astronomical as it is. I think the Broncos might make Kirk Cousins. I think they might do – they might make the play for Kirk Cousins more than the Browns personally because I don't think John Elway really wants another year of – Trevor Simeon, Brock Osweiler, and Paxton Lynch. So I could see maybe a sign and trade with Washington. Washington franchises them, and then, and then, um, what they give them like five years at what thirty four million? Is that what the new franchise tag is going to be? I would yep. say yes. Yeah. So I would say five years at thirty four million, and. Uh, you know, they'll probably give him 170. So, or John Elway has it his way. He might make it around one, 
150 or 140. John Elway doesn't want to spend too much on a on a quarterback. This is the reason why he's been Jackson Lynch route. And that was also how he got Brock Osweiler for little to nothing. And, you know, he still doesn't have to pay that astronomical contract either the Browns and the Texans. So um, I think the Broncos might make a play for Cousins and make it friendly for them and give Kirk what he wants as well. If the Broncos and Kirk Cousins decided that they wanted to do business with the Redskins like that, that would be wow. That would be so good for the Redskins that that would be that would actually make the Alex Smith trade not so bad in losing Kendall Fuller because there's a lot of good players that they could get off the uh, the the Broncos, especially like Vaughn Miller's backup that's like mm-hmm. three years that that wants to play that knows he probably won't be playing. Yeah, get that dude. And bring him over because we need somebody that can rush the pass. But yeah, if Kirk Cousins decided to do that for the Redskins, oh man, that would be such a, a swell gesture. Um, I think that this is what the NFL wanted though, because if you remember, uh, you know, when Stafford came into the league, he got a signing bonus that was this big, but everybody started complaining, oh, you know, uh, Sam Bradford, they got all these big signing bonuses. Oh no, these guys are coming into the league and they're making this huge amount of money they haven't proven themselves we need to do something with the pay structure so when they had the last labor thing that was a big sticking point is they wanted to get the veteran quarterbacks their money well okay here we go the veteran quarterbacks are getting their money because you know the um the rookies are now you know not getting those huge numbers they're having to prove themselves and get to this free agency period so they can cash out. So it's just the business that the NFL wanted. And now it's just playing out that the quarterbacking isn't as good as it was 15 years ago. So now they're paying guys that people are looking at as average to, you know, second tier, third tier quarterbacks. They're just paying them what the market demands because every time somebody gets paid, the market goes up. Derek Carr got paid, market went up. Jimmy Garoppolo just got paid, market went up. Uh, Kirk Cousins is about to get paid, market going to go up. And then when Aaron Rodgers or somebody who's really, really good comes up to get paid, like Peter was saying, they're going to get a baseball contract. They're going to get $250 million for five years or seven years or something ridiculous. And then that's when everybody's going to be like, oh, this is out of control. So it also, it, oh, okay, B, go ahead, go ahead. It also doesn't help things that, in terms of when you say veteran quarterback, being a bench rider who maybe plays a couple of games, gets in, looks terrible, and then rides the bench into obscurity, that also leads those are the those are the veterans who are getting paid the most money. Um, right now, I mean, you know, clearly this was meant with the intention of like, oh, you know, if you have uh, I don't know, someone like the immortal Drew Brees, uh, who's likely going to play forever, uh, yes, he'll be able to get his money, but you then end up with somebody like a Mike Glennon, who is a NFL veteran quarterback. You have Chase Daniel, who is a veteran NFL quarterback, who I believe made $8 million last year. You end up with, yeah, the the number of times on Sunday I have uh, hit the Steve Harvey eyes at hearing the name of a quarterback who I was like, man, he was really good in college, but I knew he wasn't going to make him the pros. Only to look up and be like, wait, he's he's still there? How? How? And he makes how much? So, yeah, it's – and it also doesn't – and kind of going back to the thing with Patriots – one thing that I do think, not so much on the Patriots, more so reflect on the rest of the league, is that at some point the rest of the league needs to break the habit of one, I think, always believing in backups coming, that you're not going to like take a piece of the Patriots and then suddenly grow it and organically become the Patriots. I think that Jimmy G being good, if Jimmy G is good, that that's it, that, that pattern will never break because people will be like, it worked once. I mean, it, it failed 
uh, you know, dozens of other times, as uh, both of y'all mentioned. And also, people got to stop hiring Patriots assistants because if you look at how that, that tree goes, that's the tree that produces nothing but crab apples. And it's a strong, healthy tree. And every crop to come off of it is like, oh, this is, oh, it turned to sawdust. So, Scott Pioli in Kansas City. Romeo uh, Cornell. Romeo Cornell, who Mike Vrabel, who somehow got the Tennessee Titans job with the 32nd ranked defense, and Romeo Cornell had the top ranked defense the year before, but we did allude to that. Injuries and everything happened, but Mike Vrabel somehow got the job, but that's not in my business. So. Charlie Weiss was able to fleece three colleges for money uh, for multiple years because I think he yelled at Tom Brady once. Yep, and poor Kansas football has suffered ever since. Well, now they'll actually – well, now that they have uh, – what's-his-face starting uh, quarterback, they'll probably just be so amazed to see, like, what a fade looks like. Uh, they won't be too bothered. Well, that's our NFL talk for this week as the season is going to kind of go into a little dormant period. But the combine is on the way and free agency. So give it a couple of weeks and the NFL will be right back in your focus. Uh, they they really have figured out a way to, to keep themselves relevant throughout the spring and the summer. With, you know, you have this combine of free agency period, that's a little block, and then you have another little break, then you get the draft at many, you know, the OTA, the mini camps or whatever for the rookies, then you get another little break, and then it's time for training camp, and then everybody gets talking about preseason and all that again. So, you know, NFL definitely be making this trade. Oh, yeah, yeah, schedule release as well. So, yeah, they definitely, um, and this year with Adam Silver kind of, being in the NBA, they kind of adopted that same kind of thing this year where their free agency period was crazy and then the draft and then, you know, their schedule release. So the NBA is kind of taking a little bit of their page to try to keep themselves relevant uh, when they go out in the summer as well. So at this point in the show, I'm going to open it up to both Peter and Dwayne for their final thoughts. Uh, they can express uh talk about a topic that we did not cover here today or you just give shout outs and thank yous. So we'll start with our guest, Peter. Shout outs, thank yous, or a topic that you want to speak on that we didn't cover today? Um, I would say in terms of a uh, you know topic I want to cover, uh, I got the ADHD, so I can't think of nothing. But I guess um, in terms of shout outs, uh, I want to shout out uh, the homie. Uh, <clears throat> I found y'all. I found y'all through a very long list of uh, different podcasts uh, through the Black Eyed Tips. So I want to shout out Rod and Karen, uh, and shout out also all the various sports people uh, who I enjoy following, uh, such as uh, Justin. Um, who y'all had on here before, um, you know, the homie, uh, Jeremy, uh, Casey Stork, um, a couple other folks. And uh, I'd like to thank you very much for having me on today. Oh, man, we appreciate you being able to join us today, man. Um, I'm going to jump in and say my final thought right quick as uh, Tobacco Road Rivalry Week went pretty well for the North Carolina Tar Heels. Mm-hmm. Uh, they played Duke on a Thursday night at the Dean Smith Center. Uh, Duke with the, you know, highly touted freshman class. Got a taste of the rivalry for the first time, and the experience won out as Carolina, with a great run in the second half, overcame their lack of shooting in the, the second part of the second half and held on to beat Duke 82-78. to And then two days later, they traveled over to Raleigh and got some revenge against the NC State Wolfpack as Luke May, 27 points in the second half, able to uh, lift Carolina up from a deficit, and they beat NC State as well. So, very successful weekend for the Tar Heels and Roy Williams. And it uh, looks like they're getting back on track just in time for the NCAA tournament and this final stretch uh, heading into the ACC tournament and uh, everything that that. So, uh, good luck to the Tar Heels moving forward. And, Dwayne, I'll give it to you at this point for your final thoughts and thank yous. 
Yeah, I'm sorry about that. I was hit a tunnel, so. Um, but my final thought has to go to the Big 12 basketball race. I want to say that it is very, very tight. I have a lot of teams that, you know, it's really Kansas versus the field. And for the first time as a Kansas fan in a very long time, I have to say that the streak is in jeopardy. Uh, Kansas lost to Baylor on the road in Waco for the first time in 11 uh, games. And and I looked at the stretch. It's a five-game stretch that started in Waco that is really going to test to see if they can get 14 in a row, 14 straight regular season titles. Uh, they have Iowa State Monday. Then they have West Virginia at home afterwards, followed by Oklahoma after that. And then they go to Texas Tech, who beat them at Allen Fieldhouse, who's currently leading the Big 12. So right now the streak is in jeopardy, but we shall see if Bill Self can rally the boys and get this um, – 14 straight conference championship is pretty much has breathed the life of its own and is just as important as trying to get that um, elusive national championship, the second one. All right. So, yeah, college basketball definitely is uh, getting cranked up in the high gear. It's becoming the main focus of everybody's attention now that the Super Bowl is over. So, yeah, we expect some uh, great finishes and some great conference tournaments coming up here in the next month or so. With that being said, for our special guest, Peter, my co-host, the Libra icon, Dwayne, I'm Don DeLorente, and now you know the score.